This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Do you believe the labels on the food you buy? A new study from Dalhousie University shows that 63% of consumers are generally concerned about food fraud. And that's food products that are counterfeited, adulterated, or misrepresented. 40% of Canadians say they have purchased food items that were labeled fraudulently. And no wonder, you can buy bread labeled as whole wheat, that is not whole wheat, and apparently that is legal, extra virgin olive oil. Wow, there, it, the problems are rampant there. You can have extra virgin olive oil that have hardly anything from the, that first extra virgin pressing, and some kind of fish are consistently misrepresented as more expensive kinds. So, for instance, there's catfish substituted for grouper, and the list goes on. I'm on the line with the co-author of this study, Sarah Chamberlain. She is a research associate with Dalhousie University. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Libby. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Fine. So uh, tell me about what you found. So we were looking at um, specifically awareness and sort of self-assessed vulnerability of Canadians to this issue of food fraud. Um, And as you kind of said in your introduction, a lot of people, uh, more actually than we were expecting, are aware and concerned um, about food fraud. Um, And it's an extremely... um, hard problem to quantify and pin down. There's lots of different examples in both Canadian and domestic products of counterfeited or fraudulent food, um, but nobody really knows to what extent the problem is. Where do you think the problem is the greatest in what foods? Fish. Fish, yes. I mean, I'm a fish biologist, so I may be a little bit biased, um, but it's, you know, once you've taken all the scales and the fins off, um, I study fish, and I couldn't tell you what kind of fish it is. So it's easy to to misrepresent them. Sometimes they make it sound like it's just a different uh, a, a different name. So, for instance, I, I buy quite a lot of fish, and say when it's snapper, I see stuff, and it's labeled snapper. And then there's this thing called rockfish, and then they say, oh well, you know, rockfish is it's just another name for snapper. That's not true. It's, it's common for, uh, like, some of the common names of fish aren't really pretty sounding. So, like, you don't want to buy something that's called a sheep fish. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, so it's, and so it's not necessarily misrepresenting it in, in that way, but it, it, is, it is common. Um, and, if, and if consumers are unsure of what names are, then it becomes easier to kind of pull the wool over their eyes. So um, that can be a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're substituting so, uh, so-called so Chilean sea bass, which is not a sea bass. It's very expensive, mm-hmm. and it's often substituted, right? It is. It absolutely is. Um, often uh, swordfish, if you're buying swordfish, it's actually shark 
in some cases. Uh, there was a study that was done a few years ago that was looking at fish purchased from uh, sort of markets in Toronto, so not necessarily grocery store retailers. Um, and they used DNA sampling of these fish and a, and a sort of database of all these different DNA um, barcodes and found that up to 41% of the fish were completely mislabeled. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, why should it, is, is it just a matter of the pocketbook or are there health effects? I mean, sometimes they're, they're substituted, the, the fish you think you're buying is substituted with a kind of fish that's very high in mer- mercury, right? Absolutely. And so, I mean, I think um, from a philosophical perspective, it's just morally wrong to do it. Um, but And a lot of Canadians, a lot of people, I think that that's enough for them to, to sort of to get angry about it. But there definitely are issues. I've, I've been doing a lot of reading on this subject lately since we've been specifically looking into it. And um, if you're buying fish that you think is from an area that's safe and you're perhaps pregnant and you're trusting that the mercury levels are going to be safe for your baby, and they may not be. Um, so there definitely are health concerns and health risks, um, and that's a fish example. But uh, there was also an example of cumin that was labeled as being from a um, nut-free facility that was actually contaminated with nuts. Wow. Um, so there, there can definitely be some consumer health concerns as well as the pocketbook concerns. Okay, uh, Sarah, I'm just going to give the numbers out again. I'd like to hear from people if they have uh, bought food that was labeled fraudulently, if they're worried about it. The numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We're talking about mislabeled, adulterated, or counterfeited food. Now, it's rampant in some products. I mentioned olive oil. Uh, In the newscast, we just heard that prices for olive oil are probably going up because of uh, weather problems with that harvest. But why would the problem be so rampant in something like olive oil? Because it's really easy to uh, to hide it. Um, Honey is another example where sometimes honey is, is sort of cut with corn syrup. Because if you look at them, um, or high, like high fructose corn syrup. If you look at them side by side, um, they're they're really similar looking, and so it's it's easy to say, you know, oh, this is 70% olive oil. We can call it olive oil, and then we'll cut it with 30% canola oil or something, because it's a cheaper oil. Um, so in in products like that, it's it's really easy to sort of hide the counterfeit. And uh, is there any way to tell? I mean, uh, really nice extra virgin olive oil has very distinctive taste, but very many different tastes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few sort of red flags to look for. Like if, if a price is too good to be true, it, it's probably too good to be true. I mean, I know it's tempting to say, olive oil can be so expensive, it's tempting to save the 3 or $4 per bottle. But if, if you're concerned about it and you're concerned about what you are getting that you may be not aware of, then maybe spending that extra money might be worth it. Um, and reputable brands and sources... Um, no, um, name brands have a little bit more at stake in terms of maintaining a reputation and consumer trust. Um, and so they have sort of more, potentially more voluntary measures in place to help prevent this kind of thing so that their reputation doesn't suffer. Um, and there are certain brands, like I, I was actually chatting about olive oil with one of my coworkers early today. It's, it's a big topic in the office today. Yeah. Um, and uh, doing a little bit of research, apparently um, Costco brand olive oil is one of the better ones. Um, but really? doing that research, um, looking into um, different companies or brands that have a good reputation, um, that have a good process, uh, that's, you know, do your homework before you go to the grocery store to try to help protect yourself from food fraud. Yeah, wow. Uh, now, 
I remember I've had a number of com- conversations with nutritionists that the rules for labeling on bread, for instance, so it's perfectly legal in Canada to call something whole wheat that isn't whole wheat. I don't get that. It's, I mean, I think there's, you know, it, it has to be a certain percentage, and then if it's over a certain percentage, then you're, you're allowed to call it something. Um, there's sort of, there's the same thing with organic labeling. Um, if, if something is labeled as organic, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's 100% free of pesticides or 100% free of any other tampering. They, they, they are allowed, um, some growers are allowed a little wiggle room with some of that. So, you know, as a consumer, I, again, it comes, it comes down to doing that homework. Know what those definitions mean. Know what the government is expecting when they are allowing this label to be put on something, um, and then you won't be surprised. Yeah, and then there's a whole other kind of level of this and a whole other aspect of this. So, for instance, probiotic yogurt. Uh, You know, back in 2010, I think it was, uh, Dadden was fined by making claims that this is going to be great for your immune system, for your digestive system, because uh, and and it wasn't actually proven the things that they claimed. No, and so I think that's where again being being sort of having a critical eye, putting your critical thinking hat on. Um, if something if somebody is making a claim, I mean, I'm not going to demonize uh, sort of retailers, but I mean they're businesses; they're out to make money. Um, and so if if they can say something that's technically legal, it may not be totally moral. Um, so doing your homework. Um, and, and sort of digging into it, and then you can potentially avoid spending the extra couple bucks for something that's not going to help you. Well, exactly, because the issue there was that, was that that yogurt seemed to be uh, quite the same as yogurts uh, that were 30% cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I guess some people are probably throwing up their hands and, and saying, you know, I, I really don't want to have to do a research project before I go grocery shopping. Um, there are some other things you can do too. Like if you um, buying food that's the least amount of processed as possible. Um, so if you're buying a fish, buy a whole fish. You know, it might. You know, you can have it gutted, but make sure that it has the head and the fins, and the so that you can see what it is, and you can see that yes, this is a trout or whatever fish it is you're buying. Um, same thing with cheese. Like buying whole cheese versus shredded cheese, then you're not risking any of those additives that they use to keep shredded cheese all separated. Um, and trying to keep um, the shortest supply chain possible. And what I mean by that is if you can go to a farm and buy eggs, do that, because then you can actually see where the eggs are coming from. You can see how the chickens are kept, that sort of thing, and you can just be a little bit more educated in, in that way. And those are some things, you know, aside from doing a whole bunch of Google research on, on your home computer that may be able to, to help people. Okay, uh, you mentioned eggs. I have questions about eggs because uh, what's the difference between free-range and free-run and organic? And some eggs are really, really expensive. I think that's another one of those things where, um, like with the organic labeling, the government sort of lays out what the definition of that is. Um, and so free range might mean just that the chickens aren't in cages, but they could still be in a barn, or it could mean that they're running around in a farmyard somewhere. Um, and so, I, again, it just boils down to knowing what those definitions mean, knowing what the government expects um, farmers to be doing when they're giving them these certifications, um, and it's, it's just being an educated consumer. And I think there is a difference between free run and free range, right? That I do not know. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
because, uh, you know, there's a certainly a difference in price, and it's really uh, quite confusing. It definitely can be. And I think uh, we have all these buzzwords that come out, you know, if something is sustainable or if something is GMO-free or if something is organic or gluten-free, and it can be really hard to keep on top of all of these things. Right. Uh, gluten-free, uh, yeah, I would... Gluten-free is, uh, that's, that's an interesting one. That's a whole other uh, can of worms. It, it definitely can be. Right. I just saw something on gluten diets, and, and people eating gluten diets apparently have higher levels of arsenic in their blood, and that, that has to do with rice, but that's a topic for a whole other day. Uh, we're running out of time. Sarah, what would you like to leave us with on this? Um, I think, you know, food fraud is definitely something that happens. Um, I don't want to do a whole lot of fear-mongering about it. I, I think it just boils down to um, it's the, the onus is on industry and the government really to be putting in these regulations um, and policies to help prevent um, consumers from being impacted. But there are things that consumers can do uh, to try to help protect themselves from food fraud. Okay. Sarah, Chamber- Sarah Chamberlain, Research Associate at Dalhousie University, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.